What is going on, everybody? Alex with Hidden Falls Media, and we are back with another episode today. I am joined by Gareth Robinson. But before we get into the episode, I want to remind you of the fee. We do not run ads. We don't pitch you some bullshit course. We don't try to sell your data to anybody. This podcast is simply here to help you and provide you value on your entrepreneurial journey, on the path that you're walking down, because guess what? So many people just don't care if they give you the right information or if they bring on the best guests. They just want to get those high vanity metrics. That's not what we're about. We're here to help and serve you on your journey so you can live the best life possible. If you found a nugget of wisdom or insight or enjoy just hearing my voice for the last hour or so, please leave us a review and subscribe on Apple iTunes podcast. It helps us tremendously, not just on our end to help get ranked and so more people can find out about us, but it also helps our amazing guests who are gracious with their time and they give us all this amazing insight and insight for you for free. So make sure you pop a review down there, leave a comment and say hi, and we'll make sure to engage back with you. Today's guest, ladies and gentlemen, is a retail media strategist in a previous life. Now he's working inside of the e-com space, moving from working with bands or brands like Unilever, PNG, Microsoft, and Kroger, now inside of the retail space, Gareth Robinson, everybody, please welcome him on. Thanks, Alex. Of glad course. To be, glad to be on this with you. Been Dude, looking I'm, forward to this. I'm super pumped. There's a lot of things I know we can get into and cover, uh, but real fast, where can people find you? How can they find out more about your stuff? Yeah, you can find me on G under on Instagram. Uh, my account is G underscore Rob365. So G Rob365. And then our brand Instagram account is no shade underscore. CO, No Shade Co. Love it. So let's talk a little bit about what this transition has been like for you. Going from the safe nine to five into the entrepreneurial space, what type of massive kind of kick in the butt did you get to make that transition? Were you always entrepreneurial? What's that journey been like for you? Yeah, I I think it'd be best to start from the beginning. Um, You know, so growing up, I come from a lower middle class family. Uh, I watched my father, uh, you know, work his tail off at times, you know, he was with the same company for over 35 years, but at times he needed to have two or three jobs uh, while raising three kids on his own. And uh, I saw a lot of the struggles that came with that. And I think early on, um, around probably the age of 10, 11 or 12, something just kind of really gravitated me towards these self-made entrepreneur types. Um, And my father had, you know, uh, educated me a little bit on my my in previous generations of my family, we had farm owners, restaurant owners, bank owners, etc. So I was really kind of inspired by this vision of I've had past family members that have been in this space before. And where it really all kind of ticked off for me, I was about 12 years old and I was riding my bike through the neighborhood and I saw this guy with his own landscaping company and he looked like he was just having the time of his life with his headphones in and everything. And, and from there, I, you know, I went home that day, I got on Microsoft word and created the, the worst flyer you've ever seen in your life uh, to mow people's lawns for $10 an hour. And uh, from there, I just started mowing lawns and shoveling snow in the winter and everything. And it kind of parlayed into high school. Um, my father would always rag me, why don't you get a job? Um, and I was always just interested in making my own money. And so after high school, um, I, I, I didn't really know what I wanted my path to be. I think I was stuck between a, a couple things that I wanted to do, but just had a hard time making a, commit, a commitment to something long-term. And I found myself working this dead-end job at 18 years old. I was doing commercial tile 
which is backbreaking work, um, working 80, 90 hour weeks for $400 a week. Uh, and at the time the economy crashed in 2008 and I found myself sleeping in the cab of my truck for about 10 days at a flying J. Um, and I had nobody to go to. Uh, my father was basically like, Hey, you got to figure this out on your own and make it happen. And, you know, at some point, you know, I was overweight and all these, all these other cliches, but just having experienced that, um, like four or five days in, I just knew I'm never going to allow myself to get to this point ever again. And so I kind of put the onus on myself to really start taking full ownership and really exploring what I want to do with my life. So that next leap was actually joining the military. I knew what I needed was discipline, structure, and kind of a uh, environment that would allow me to really explore what I wanted to do on my own and also be a part of a team and be in an environment that's going to push me to grow um, and really shape my mindset. So while I was in the army, I already knew what I wanted to do when I get out. And that was uh, start my first business and everything. So I did my four years and whatnot and started the Kelly School of Business after I got out of the military. And that's where I really kind of figured out, you know, hey, school's really like this first semester, I'm not learning anything I can't learn on YouTube. Right. Um, and that's where it really started to click for me. And I had an elective class and I happened to bump into a, a friend from uh, high school and hadn't seen him in almost 10 years. Um, and we both went to go grab a, a drink. And oddly enough, when we went to grab that drink about a week later, we both showed up with notebook notebooks in our hands. And, you know, we kind of looked at each other like, I think we're here for the same reason. And it, it's one of those weird things where it was never talked about. It just kind of happened. And uh, from there, you know, we became best friends and we started our first business together and did really well with that. And that's where everything really started to click. And I got my confidence and like, I can do this. We built a successful business as full-time college students. And the, the level of freedom I got to experience waking up, having my own routine, um, that level of uh, the experience you get directly working with your customers, solving problems, et cetera. That's what really kind of ignited that fire. Um, and as I graduated college, I, I still had this inkling, like I needed to go find a nine to five job. Um, and, and I think I wasn't fully confident enough to kind of cut loose from that idea and really just put everything on my shoulders and go out on my own. So for the past three years, I've always kind of had my business on the side, but had a nine to five and, you know, my hunger for constant learning gets fueled by my side hustle. But I don't get to really uh, podcasting rule number one broken. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's all gravy, baby. Uh, uh, you know, it, that that's that education has been fueled by myself and really trying to explore the e-commerce and uh, the e-commerce marketing space uh, more specifically. And what I found was I just have so much passion for what I'm doing at home. And so much dread for what I'm doing at work, you know, going into an office where nobody seems inspired about what they're doing, you know, going into an office and sitting there all day and nobody talks to each other. There's no creativity going on. Um, and, you know, those things just kind of weighed on me and weighed on me and weighed on me. And, you know, as you had brought up before, I'm kind of back to this transition of burning the ships, as Tony Robbins likes to say. Um, where I'm giving myself zero outs, zero excuses to even look at a nine to five job. Um, and be honest with you, three weeks ago when, you know, I was called into the CEO's office uh, and due to COVID and uh, taking such a huge revenue hit, I knew I was getting laid off. Mm -hmm. And even though I knew that walking into that office, I just felt 
you know, the weight of the world left off my shoulders. Like finally I have the freedom he, yeah. before he even said anything. I, I finally felt like I had the freedom to kind of walk away and really go chase what I really want to do here. That's awesome, man. What a story. One of the things I want to get into though, is not very many people go into the military and come out with that type of mindset, right? Or even go into the military looking for it. A lot of times it's, Hey, I needed, I needed the meal and I needed the bed more than I needed the mindset shift. Yeah. What was that like for you going through that process? And what did, what do you attribute your success to now from those learning experiences? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I think at the time when I first got in the military, I just wanted to be successful, but didn't really know at what, mm. um, as I had kind of gotten in better shape and really developed strong routine patterns, I noticed I started to get more and more focused. And so I really kind of started exploring all these other areas and really started gravitating towards sales and marketing. And I found myself on the weekends, instead of going out to the bars, like everybody else was, I'm sitting in my room, filling notebooks full of notes on sales and marketing um, and, and psychology and all of those things. And that kind of parlayed into getting to college and feeling like I wasn't learning too much those first couple of years. Um, and so I really kind of got an, inspired from there and really started creating my vision of what exactly am I going to do when I get out? I knew I wanted to start a business, but I didn't know what. I was fortunate enough to bump into my friend in the hallway and, and things parlayed from there. But um, really, it was putting the onus on myself to just have focus and really be diligent about it. And then from there, uh, obviously, that vision has changed a little bit over time, but it's come with experience. Um, and one of the things I really had to do early on was learn to get out of my own way stop chasing perfection and really shorten the gap with your failures. Um, and I think you and I had talked about that last week of when you experience failure, failure, there's no need to dwell on it. How do we shorten that gap and continue to move forward? And I think, you know, those are probably two of the biggest things that have kind of led to where I am today. Um, and that constant state of being able to learn and evolve comes from kind of that mindset. So moving through this journey, you said that you've taken a very student-based approach where do you feel like that that's gotten you and what do you feel like is some of the most critical things to learn for a young CEO or a young entrepreneur, somebody that's just starting out on their journey out of high school or maybe even still in high school moving through, um, where, where do you start, right? There's so many gurus, there's so many things saying, hey, this is the only course you ever need. This is the only book reference you ever need. Where do you start? How, where would you start to guide somebody down that process? Yeah, that's another great question because I feel like early on I was a little lost with that as well of what exactly do I focus on? Um, I think, you know, for me, what's really worked out is, and I've realized this over years of trying to, you know, continually educate myself, finding a topic within e-commerce that I really want to get better at and just really focusing on that for a month. So instead of approaching every day with learning a little bit about SEO or learning a little bit about you know, product strategy and all these things, just focus on that one topic and really go in on that and create a base level understanding of it at the very least. Um, and that's allowed me to kind of create a broad set of skills, skills um, that really goes towards my strength of understanding the big picture mm -hmm. um, and kind of parlaying that into what I really want to say here is I think identifying your strengths and what you're really good at is critically important. And then understanding what people do I need to surround myself that can help me uh, kind of fill the gaps, you know, and being able to take, I think early on, everybody wants to do all the work and be hands-on. Yeah. And the hardest thing in the world to do is kind of have that self-awareness that 
I don't really have the skill set to be sitting here and editing content for six hours. Is that really going to be something that helps me push my business forward? Or is it more cost effective for me to let some let the expert do that while I focus on what my over, you know, more important aspects of my business? Um, so I would say that those are kind of the things that have really um, come along with some of those mistakes I've made. Um, and really just that learning process of um, at the end of the day, you cannot rush the process. You got to take things one time, one thing at a time and build it the right way, build a strong foundation and be consistent with everything. And if you do that, and like we had talked about before we even came on, um, if you do that, you know, and, and you have that mindset that you're going to be around longer than anybody else, you'll get to where you want to get to. Um, you just got to be consistent. You got to be focused. Why e-commerce? I, it was something I was able to pick up very quickly. Um, you know, I think when I first got into e-commerce with my first company a few years ago, I was in college actually, and I didn't know what I wanted to sell online. So I started selling gym chalk. I went to the gym every day and I was like, what can I sell? And I'm sitting there, you know, working out and I'm putting gym chalk on my hands. And I got the idea of I'm going to sell my own gym chalk and we'll see what happens. So, um, I had to learn how to source my gym chalk. Where am I going to get it from? And then I had to find packaging for it. And so doing all of those things at a small level, at a micro level, allowed me to kind of ease into it and really get a hang of how does this work? And, you know, where, where does my product fit in all these things? And so after about four or five months, you know, I Christmas season 2017 hit and I made a ton of money on gym chalk. And I was like, okay, I know how to do this. Um, and then I kind of parlayed that into my next couple of ventures online. And, you know, I would say that the things that interest me in e-commerce have changed a little bit. I think now I'm much more into the content and uh, media strategy that goes into building a community-based brand. Whereas before I was probably more into the email strategy mm -hmm. and product strategy and things along those lines. So um, that's even my interest within the space have shifted over the last few years. So what are you seeing within that content strategy and community development? That was something that, you know, the last few guests I've had on, um, we've gone deep into that topic. And I'm noticing that that's even hearing you talk about that now, that's really been a common thread, right? Is that we hear more content, more value, but what do you, how do you approach your content strategy? What does that look like for you? How are you seeing that world differently than everybody else? Yeah, I think uh, what I've learned actually from my corporate uh, my corporate experience and having worked with a few really good people uh, with strong content backgrounds in that world is stop chasing perfection and just be willing to test test this new message. Um, and so, like what we're doing with No Shade Co. right now is um, one of the things you know I've been persistent about is testing our messaging over the last couple of months and what's working, what's not working before we go spending a bunch of money on ads and etc. Um, I, I think it also, you know, if you're a larger company, I think building niche experiences for your audiences are important. So kind of diving into those analytics and saying, okay, where is there, you know, I saw a company yesterday that built a, you know, window stickers around kind of the Dunkin' Donuts logo, but it had their branding to it. And I thought that was great marketing because it's like, that's an, that's a specific experience for a certain part of their audience. And this is a brand with over a million followers. So um, I think it's about the experience that you're trying to create more so than the content. I think the content is a reflection of the experience that they're, they're expecting. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, well, let's go into that a little bit more. What 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 creates that experience, right? What's that? Because at the end of the day, we're we're chasing the game of memorization. Mm-hmm. I think I, when we look at what a good definition of marketing is, I think it's a game of memorization. And how much amplitude or how much intensity does that memorization actually have? Mm-hmm. So when looking at an experience, what are ways that you've seen that people have been able to get super creative, or what are some good examples of experience-based marketing that have really worked? Yeah, you know. I think you see some brands doing, you know, brands with 500 to a million followers. Um, you, you see things like maybe you have a niche audience within your total audience that lo- really loves snowboarding. So how can we build an experience around that? Well, maybe we launch a new iteration of our product that's specifically designed for snowboarders. And maybe we go reach out to a micro or a macro influencer in that space. And we kind of build the branding around them and their personality and they really attract that audience that way. Um, I, I really think it, it, it it's going outside the box and thinking beyond what you know you would traditionally do when you're growing your brand. Maybe those opportunities aren't there in the beginning, but I think as you grow and you build your audience and you get to know who your audience is, I think those experiences become more and more prevalent to the further growth of your brand. I've seen you start to kind of use that idea of more influencer based in the micro targeting. Why that decision? Because that's not something when you think of bigger businesses like Unilever, P&G, Kroger, Microsoft, you don't think micro influencer with any of those brands. Is this one of those competitive advantages that you saw when you were in those businesses? You're like, this is a massive opportunity that they're missing on. Or was it that you saw them start to use it? And you saw the effect of it and you're like, okay, now I want to use that inside of my strategy. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's, it's a couple of reasons. I think authenticity is number one. I think right now with where we are as a small company, that uh, authenticity with the audience that we're trying to build is, is really key. And that's really what I want my company to reflect is, Hey, we're authentic. We're everyday people. Um, and you know, we're, we're, we're building a certain audience, but we're, we're open to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes where you see influencers fall short is that lack of inauthenticity. Um, and, and that's not something that we really want to be privy to. We don't care necessarily if you have a million followers, we care about your message. We care yeah. about your core values and we care about your ethics. We care about the way that you approach your, your audience. Those are those to me, those are the most important because that's what I want to build at the base level of this company. Um, so that's how I kind of a, approach it is who really reflects the values that we represent as a company. Um, and I really work from that, that kind of point of emphasis. How do you, how did you develop core values within your own business? Um, honestly, you know, I struggled the first six or seven months trying to understand what I wanted this business to be about. And, um, last year due to some unfortunate things, I had to take about two months away and kind of step back and everything and re, but that time allowed me to kind of recalibrate. Mm-hmm. and refocus. Um, and what I really came back to is just be yourself, build something yeah. that represents who you are and what you believe in. And people will register with that authenticity. Um, and it'll go a long way to helping you kind of create momentum naturally, organically, and getting people to buy into your message. I, and, and I've learned that the hard way in the past, trying to build a company with a message that didn't necessarily reflect my values or even the way that I live my life. Um, and so I kind of came back to that, you know, just build it, you know, building that, that, that core set of values around who you really are. And people will resonate with that. Yeah. You've, 
you've got a no- lot of knowledge up there, man. <laughs> you know, uh, I was really looking forward to this because the few times we've gotten to talk, I've been really impressed not only with your mindset, but, you know, your understanding of psychology. And um, it, it's been great talking to you in those little short conversations that we've had. I've always felt like I've had a moment to learn from you. And that's awesome. And uh, I always come away from a conversation with you uh, uh, feeling like I've learned something. Thank you. It's uh, it's definitely mutual. Because I remember the first time we met, I had my earbuds in and I was going crazy at the gym and I had my Arate shirt on and actually it might just, I think it might be this one too. Um, and you were like, hey man, I, uh, I hate to interrupt you. I know you're in the middle of a set, but uh, you're part of Arate? And I was like, oh shit, like this thing's got some legs to it. Because that was the first time anybody had ever said anything to me about it. Yeah. You know, I, I felt so alone listening to Ed and Andy, like you see their numbers, right? Yeah. And you see the impact that they had in different areas within their own businesses and companies. Mm -hmm. But it was weird to see that for the first time kind of click in my own life of like, oh, like this thing's actually got legs and it's moving. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, you know, with relationships and um, even more so today, 2020 has taught me anything. uh, It's to stick to my values in this respect. But I've always valued mindset in people over what your job status is, what your income is, what you own. I've always valued mindset because I know mindset can make anything happen if you have the right frame of mind. Um, Those other things are so fleeting, though. A job title is fleeting. A car is fleeting. A house is fleeting. Absolutely. And I'll be the first to sit here and tell you it sounds so cliche. It sounds so cliche to say, but um, for somebody like me, no amount of money is going to make me happy in a nine to five. Um, and I really love being a creator and being able to lead people in that way. And, you know, with my company, my ultimate vision is I want to be able to hire people, provide them a great life, but hopefully they go off, they leave my company and they go do big things themselves. And you're not going to get that in the corporate world. You're not going to get that level of dedication from leadership. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to this year that just, they hate their, they hate their company. They hate their leadership, all these things. And it's like, you know, we're all afraid to kind of break away from that. But when you do, it's the greatest feeling in the world when you decide to just commit and move forward and burn the ships. I mean, even even now, right, it's the why take the risk of entrepreneurship? Why not just stick to the nine to five job? And I think you had that perfect experience. There were circumstances outside of your control. You're always vulnerable, right? Yeah. But I'm more in control and less vulnerable if I know I'm the one putting in the work every day, that I'm the one that's in charge of my destiny moving forward. And I'm not leaving it on the hands of some CEO or some CFO that's making the financial decision saying, hey, we got to let these people go because either there's redundancy in the system or it's not proving the ROI or the investment back to us that we thought it would. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think being able to watch guys like Andy, um, like an Ed, et cetera, and you see that the way they build their companies And that kind of becomes your expectations for what a company should be and the way that you should be as a leader. And, you know, you, you come to corporate America and and I know I'm not trying to bash anybody with a nine to five at all. Uh, And I think there's great leaders in corporate America as well, but, you know, for the most part, it, it, when you, you look at a guy like an Andy Frischella, the way he runs his company, the way he treats his people, you're not going to get that in corporate America. Um, and, and if you do, a lot of times it's inauthentic and it's, it's merely for PR and branding purposes. Um, I, I think the way that you see, 
you know, you, the way you run your company, I, I see how you hustle and the energy that you bring to your organization. And a lot of guys that are part of Arate, and I see this from them, it's a certain level of energy. It's a certain level of enthusiasm. Um, and it's that go-getter mentality and, you know, being in control of your own destiny. There's a lot of freedom in that. Um, and when you decide to break free and, you know, really build things the way, the life that you want to build, um, you know, everything starts to move in the right direction. It might be scary at first. It might be slow dredging at first, but if you stick with it and you're consistent, I promise you, you're going to get to a place where, you know, you're really living the life that you want and you really have that level of freedom that makes you a truly happy person. You want to know one of the things I've noticed, man, is that even, even the people that have quote unquote made it, they all have this weird little voice in the back of their head. And I thought it once again, thinking you're alone on the journey when you're really not right. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting when you start getting into the idea of like hive thinking with like, when you get people inside the mastermind, right. Napoleon Hill talked about this and thinking grow rich that when you have the mastermind of people, you accelerate the growth, but all of them in the back of their head have this little voice that says somebody else is catching up to you or that any day it could be right away. Yeah. And I think there's something really interesting about that, that entrepreneurs and business owners have that. I think when you take this, when you take the role of an employee, it almost feels like that gets ripped away from you a little bit. Exactly. That voice gets silenced or put into a cage instead of it being there. Of, hey, somebody's coming after your job. Exactly. Somebody's hunting after you. Right. <laughs> it's almost like that voice gets silenced and it's a shame because I feel like that's been a huge driving force for not just myself, but for I'm watching all, one of the benefits of being an RTA is I see all these other individuals that are out there doing the same thing, but they're, they all have that voice of, Hey, somebody's right on my heels. Yeah. And it, it usually never relates back to pure consumerism or capitalism from the sense of it. Hey, I just need to make more money because somebody's a dollar or two behind me. Yeah. It's the sense of, I just spent the last 10 or 15 years building this business and yeah, I could step away for a day or two, but I don't want to because there's the fear that somebody's right there. Exactly. And I would say fear in a lot of ways. Um, I, I think I'm motivated by my fears. I, I, I think, you know, one of my fears is, am I average? And, mm. you know, that entrepreneurial journey, like you had mentioned earlier, is lonely. And sometimes it's hard to understand, you know, why aren't people clapping? I think Tony, the interview that you had with Tony, uh, Watley, if that's correct, you know, he had kind of talked about that a little bit. Um, you know, when everything's going, it's when everything's getting started, it's incredibly lonely. Um, and you got to be willing to kind of be your own coach and your own mentor along that journey initially getting started. But I think, you know, if you're, if you're comfortable with going out and trying to find people with the right mindset and trying to find people that really speak that passion into your life, you're going to find that there's a ton of other people out there like it. And there's people all across the spectrum uh, like that as well. There's some people who are just getting started. There's some who, like you had mentioned, been in the game for 15 years and, and they're full of confidence. And there's some people who, you know, I think they feel stuck. They want to make the decision, but they can't. And they need that right person in their life to kind of coach them through, Hey, this isn't going to be what you, as bad as you think it is. I just had a conversation with a friend two weeks ago and he was talking about starting a business, but he was talking about all the negatives. He was talking mm. about what about time with my family and time with this and time? And I had to stop them. And I said, you're focusing on the negatives. What, what if you shifted the conversation, your internal conversation to, man, what am I going to be able to provide for my family? 
What am I going to be able to provide for myself? What kind of impact will I be able to make now? Except in, in those things and shifting that internal conversation a lot of times is the most important part to continuing to grow and move forward. Yeah. I was just with um, a bunch of RTA people down in Texas about two weeks ago. One of the individuals there who is a millionaire eight or nine times over with multiple different businesses that he's ran has 15 kids, two of which are twins with Down syndrome, and he still built these companies. And what one of the conversations we had was, you know, how do you how do you build that relationship, right? Because everybody thinks when you start the business and build it, you're gonna, it's all like you're all in on that. That's your child, that's your mistress, right? Yeah. And he said, no, 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 no. The best thing I could have ever done was start the business because I brought them along into the journey. They they can't they can't learn hard work and discipline by me just telling them about hard work and discipline. Right. I have to lead by example because so much of that education process is caught, not taught mm-hmm. and showing them that process of this is what it takes to build the family, to bring them along, to show them the possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was really powerful. I do have something I want to read for you, though. Okay. This was So uh, you were talking about the fear of average. And there's this beautiful, beautiful poem. It's real short by a guy named Edmund Caudette. Uh, it's, it's titled, Are You Average? Average is what the failures claim to be when their family and friends ask them why, are they, why they are not more successful. Average is the top of the bottom, the best of the worst, the bottom of the top, the worst of the best. Which of these are you? Average means being run-of-the-mill, mediocre, insignificant, and also ran a non-entity. Being average is the lazy person's cop-out. It's lacking the guts to take a stand in life. It's living by default. Being average is to take up space for no purpose, to take the trip through life but never pay the fare, to return no interest for God's investment in you. Being average is to pass one's life away with time rather than to pass one's time away with life. It's to kill time rather than to work it to death. To be average is to be forgotten once you pass from this life. The successful are remembered for their contributions. The failures are remembered because they tried. But the average, the silent majority, is just forgotten. To be average is to commit the greatest crime one can against oneself, humanity, and one's God. The saddest epitaph is that here lies Mr. and Mrs. Average. Here lies the remains of what might have been, except for their belief that they were only average. That's always stuck with me. And yeah, I I think that pretty much sums it up. You know, um, I think as you were saying before, you know, I think there's that innate trait amongst entrepreneurs and business owners and creators that I always want something more. It's not the pursuit of more material goods. It's the pursuit of better as an individual, as somebody that's a part of society. Um, And I think, you know, in my early twenties, I'd be guilty of being too uh, money focused with starting a business. Whereas I've gotten older um, and through volunteering and seeing the impact that you can make on people's lives, I've shifted my focus to how can I use my business for a vehicle of good? Mm. And how can I really bring people along that journey? And I think when I started to take that kind of mindset and approach to it, I've really enjoyed what I'm doing now so much more than when I was making it more about myself and more about the money when I was, you know, in my early twenties. Um, and so I agree. I think that, you know, I, I think one of the things that, it, that drew me to you 
uh, right away was, you know, before I came up to you at the, at the gym, I had seen you in there twice a day, like I was, and I, I would, I'd be there in the morning working out. You'd be there. I'd be there at night, at late at night and you'd be working out too. And I was like, man, I bet this guy's just got a sick mindset. And <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of demons that need to be suppressed. And yeah, uh, yeah, that's exactly. the best way we figured out how to handle that. Yeah, exactly. And and for me that, that I get those demons out, you know, I, I think that's a great way to put it too. I think you got to embrace your demons. Yeah. I think, you know, society teaches us to be, um, society teaches us to be, you know, aware of our demons in the wrong ways. Mm. How can we use them for good? How, how is this, some of this internal conversation that I'm having, how can I flip that conversation and, and use it to better myself? Again, kind of going back to that, um, I think that's what I've always enjoyed doing. Uh, I, I think, you know, everybody looks at David Goggins. A, a lot of people probably think he's crazy. I, I think the guy's perfectly normal. Um, you know, I, I think he deals with his demons in a way that allows him to be highly successful. And, you know, I, I think that's where, you know, this is probably a different conversation for a different day, but, you know, the way that we approach mental health as entrepreneurs um, and business owners, it's different from what the rest of society has to do and but it also makes that internal conversation so much more important that yeah. we have with ourselves and having that right circle around you is really what's going to help lead you to having the best life possible i couldn't agree more what a beautiful place to end it on too gareth where can people find more about you and your company yeah so again um on instagram i don't have too uh, large of a presence yet but uh, i'm working on some of the personal branding things in the background, but on Instagram at G underscore Rob three, six, five, you can find our, uh, no shade co Instagram account at no shade underscore co. And, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com Gareth dash Robinson. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. I know my audience is going to eat this one alive and go crazy over it. Once again, everybody, this was a Hidden Falls Media experience. We don't run ads. We don't push BS products to you on the show. This is entirely here for your benefit. So please make sure you're subscribed. I know a ton of you are listening, but for whatever reason, you have not hit that subscribe button yet. So make sure you do that. Leave us a review if you found this episode impactful in any way. There are a ton of nuggets in here. Gareth was a wealth of information. So if you haven't already, go follow him. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And we'll see you on the next one. We're bringing in a bunch of really, really cool guests. Our next one, we're going to be talking about opinion sciences and how we're able to leverage the art of persuasion in different areas in our life. I hope you tune in. We'll see you next time.